You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, It's page 811 if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles under your seat there. And as we continue uh, our series uh, that we're calling A People of Prayer, I really just want to begin this morning by telling you something that you probably already know. And that is that that there is not just one form of prayer. There's not just one form of prayer. And actually a vibrant prayer life, the kind of prayer life that we're pursuing as we're trying to become people of prayer in an increasing way, that kind of prayer life includes a variety of different types of prayer. By default, I think most of us naturally reduce prayer to asking things from God for ourselves. Maybe a few other people in our kind of immediate circle, but we reduce it to that. And and asking things of God is a really good and and valid way to pray. We should ask. God invites and calls us to ask him for things. It's just that prayer is meant to be a whole lot more than that. Our pursuit of prayer has to include more and more variety than simply our our asking. If we take the Psalms, for instance, uh, the school of prayer, as Augustine called it, we can group the, the Psalms not only by the various emotions they express, but by the types of prayers they are. There's Psalms of praise and Psalms of lament, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of remembrance, Psalms of repentance or confession, and so on. Uh, or if you've been around the church for, for any period of time, uh, if you've ever heard someone teach on prayer, you're probably familiar with the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. Anybody familiar with this before I explain it? Yeah, that's like 90% of you. So in case that's, you're not one of the people that are familiar with that, ACTS, uh, the A stands for adoration. So we pray prayers of, of praise and adoration to God simply for who he is. C is for confession. Uh, we confess, we acknowledge the ways that we have turned from God. T is for thanksgiving. We're we're grateful, we're expressing gratitude to God for the many ways that he has blessed us and our our family and friends in this world. And then S is the word supplication, which they clearly just used to complete the ACTS acronym. They just were trying to make something work there. It's a fancy word for asking God for things. The novelist Anne Lamott, uh, who actually had some some ideas about prayer that would not be faithful to to the Christian understanding of prayer, but nevertheless has a really memorable way of summarizing different types of prayer. She says simply, help, thanks, wow. Help, thanks, wow. And you you can hear maybe even the overlap there with the the ACTS acronym. Help is supplication. Help is asking things, asking for God's help. Thanks is, of course, thanksgiving. Wow is adoration, praise, praise. Notably, she, she omitted confession. She didn't, she didn't include confession in her summary. But all of that to say, no matter what summary you use or you might be familiar with, there are different forms of prayer, and our lives are meant to be a learned balance of these different forms. A learned balance. A balance means that, that we're not reducing prayer to one form. We aren't overemphasizing one type of prayer and excluding another or others. So for example, I like meat. I like meat. I think I could eat meat for every single meal of the day. But my my registered dietitian wife has informed me 
It's actually not very healthy to do that, that you shouldn't do that, uh, that I should actually eat a variety of foods, that I should even eat sometimes vegetarian meals, which up to this point I thought was an oxymoron. Like I didn't think it was possible to call it a meal unless there was some kind of meat involved in it. Apparently that's not the case. But balance is good, right? Balance is good. It's best, it's healthiest to experience the variety and the full scope. And as that pertains to prayer, we should be availing ourselves of all of the ways that we are called and invited to converse with God. So prayer is a balance. It's also a learned balance. We, we have to be taught how to pray. We are not naturally and automatically good at this, especially if we're talking about that full scope of what prayer is. During his, his three years of earthly ministry, Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed constantly. And his disciples, his 12 closest friends and followers, observed his prayer life. And as they observed his prayer life, they began to perceive something of how prayer was Jesus' source of deep communion with God the Father. It was how Jesus remained connected to God the Father. It was the way that he was sustained for his own life and his ministry. And so on one occasion after Jesus finished praying, the disciples said to him, Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We need to learn how you're doing what you're doing. We want to know how to pray. Teach us. And Jesus' response was simply to begin praying. He, he prayed a prayer that we now know and refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So rather than beginning a lecture or a, a lecture series on prayer, Jesus simply modeled prayer for his disciples and in turn, centuries later, for us. So though it's not the only part of the Bible which is meant to shape our prayer lives, the Lord's Prayer is a great place for us to learn how to pray and to see that prayer is a learned balance. The Lord's Prayer is recorded in both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. This morning we're going to look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive into that. Lord God, we ask in this moment, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to know your ways, that you would teach us your paths, that you would lead us in your truth and teach us, because you are the God of our salvation. And it's for you that we wait all day long. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. So Jesus here is teaching his disciples, there are some wrong ways to pray. There are some wrong ways to pray. Praying in order to be seen or heard by others. Praying by repeating a lot of empty words mindlessly. But in modeling then the right way to pray, the Lord's Prayer shows us that prayer is a learned balance. And in the broadest sense, it's a learned balance between two things. Devotion and dependence. Devotion and active dependence. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at each of those things. So first, prayer is devotion. Prayer is devotion. If you break down the the Lord's Prayer, and many authors, scholars have done this over the years, there's different specific ways to break it down. But if you break down the Lord's Prayer, it contains an opening address and then six or seven petitions depending on what you do with verse 13. Some people keep it together as one petition, some people break it in to two. But the opening address and the first three petitions, the first three requests, are all directed toward the glory and honor of God. They're all about his name, his kingdom, and his will. They are, in other words, prayers of devotion. In prayer, we are seeking to glorify, to magnify, to make much of, to worship God for who he is. And one of the primary reasons we pray, even though this is not our natural default, but one of the primary reasons we pray is not to ask things for ourselves, but to align our lives and align our desires and align our pursuits with God's. Before asking for a single thing, this, this starts with how Jesus teaches us to address God. And so he says there in verse 9, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's an incredible phrase that if we've become familiar with it, we can quickly take for granted and forget just how amazing it is that we can address God this way. God is both in heaven. He is other He is holy. He is separate from creation. He is above and greater and more powerful than any of the things that he has made. But he is also our father who loves us, who desires nearness to us, who desires intimacy with us. And so this is the first balance that we must learn in prayer, that God is both transcendent and imminent. Transcendent and imminent. And those are fancy words that keep pastors and theologians employed. So let's explain a little bit what we mean by those. Transcendence means what we just said, that that he is holy and above his creation, that he is distinct from what he made, that he is God, that we are not. Imminence means that though God is distinct, he is not distant. He is near to us. He has come near to us. He makes himself knowable and accessible in an immensely personal way. So when we pray in light of that, we pray with a balance of reverence and intimacy, reverence and and confidence, the reverence that is due to the only true God, the one who is in heaven, but also the intimacy and the nearness made available to the one who is our father the one who invites us to be sons and daughters. So I just want to ask you a question this morning. Which of those two things, the transcendence and the imminence of God, which of those two things 
is more scandalous to you? Which is more scandalous to you? To the disciples, these 12 hearing this, to the original audience of Matthew's gospel, the imminence of God was way more scandalous that we could actually call God our father. First century Jewish people, they had a real sense of the power and reality of God. Their question was, is God knowable? Can I actually approach him and not die? Can I relate to him with intimacy? Calling God father for a first century Jewish man or woman would have been scandalous. For many of us, though, in the 21st century in the West, it's often the opposite. We've lost a sense of reverence at all. We've lost our, our awe. We've lost a sense of the fear of God. For many of us, and especially if we've been around the church, been around Christianity for a period of time or maybe our whole lives, holy things have become way too commonplace and ordinary. Familiarity has bred contempt. At the very same time, I would say, most of us are engaged in a lifelong battle to actually believe and actually receive the love God has for us. To actually believe that God loves us the way a perfect father would and does. So I just want you to consider this morning, which of those two things, God's transcendence or God's imminence, you find yourself more reluctant to embrace, more scandalized by, and then recognizing which way you are disposed to seek this learned balance that's modeled by Jesus. If, you, if familiarity has bred contempt, if holy things have become too ordinary and commonplace, let the transcendence of God humble you. When you pray, you're, you're not talking to a peer. You're not talking to your buddy. You're speaking to the creator and sustainer of all things. People cannot stand up in the presence of God when they encounter him. They fall down on their face in fear and reverence of him. So be humble and be reverent in your prayers. At the same time, let God's imminence make you confident. You can actually approach God through Jesus. You actually can stand at the presence of the throne of God because you are loved and known and heard by him. So as Jesus then moves from this opening address into petitions to things that we should ask God for, notice that the first three requests he calls us to pray have very little to do with me and everything to do with God. Hallowed be your name. We pray that God's name would be known, would be revered, would be worshipped in all the world. We pray for God to protect the reputation of his name. We pray that God's name would not be dishonored by us or by anyone else as it passes through our lips. Your kingdom come. We pray also for God's rule and reign to extend. And in the incarnation of Jesus, when he took on flesh and came to dwell among us, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. The kingdom of God is at hand. And since that day, the kingdom is now both already and not yet. And so we are praying when we pray this petition that we would experience more and more of the already, less and less of the not yet. That it wouldn't be so much further off. As Martin Luther put it, it's a prayer of yearning for that future life of the fullness of God's kingdom. Yearning for that future life of the fullness of God's kingdom. And then we pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying there, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Help us to carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. 
So prayer is devotion. It's meant to align our lives. It's meant to align our wills and desires with God. it's, It's meant to orient and then reorient us over and over again to our place in God's world. And Jesus is warning his disciples here, one of the wrong ways that's really easy for us to start praying. One of the wrong ways we're prone to pray is by drawing attention to ourselves, by standing at at street corners to be seen or heard by others, to to use prayer selfishly. It's very easy for us to, to use prayer selfishly. Praying as devotion is the antidote to that. Praying as devotion is a continual check of our motives when we pray. Devotion guards us against presumption, or selfishness in our prayers. We, we can ask ourselves, am I praying purely out of my own self-interest? Or am I actually praying with a passion for God's interests? Am I praying to be heard by other people? Or am I praying because I know I have a Father in heaven who hears me? I'm praying for him, to him. And even though these are petitions, even though we are asking God for things in these first three petitions, I hope you can see how much these prayers are also infused with adoration and thanksgiving and praise of God. We we pray God's name would be hallowed because he alone has a name that's worth praising. We pray for his kingdom to come with deep gratitude, with thankfulness that in Jesus it has come and it is coming. And we pray for his will to be done as we rejoice that God has an infinitely better plan for your life, for my life, for this world than anything we could come up with. So learn from Jesus that prayer is devotion. And then pray like this. Pray big, kingdom-centered prayers about the glory and honor of the God who is both our Father and in heaven. That's prayer is devotion. Second, learn from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer that prayer is also active dependence. Active dependence. Where those first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer are focused on God, the other three, or four, if you break verse 13 into two separate ones, uh, they are about what we need from God. What we need from God. This is another aspect of the balance we learn in prayer. We ask God for both massive things and mundane things. We ask God for the full scope of his kingdom and his will to be done, But also we ask him for what I need today in this 24-hour period. We ask for God's honor and glory, and we also ask things for ourselves. A few weeks ago when we uh, began this series, we were considering that, that prayer requires dependence. That prayer will naturally flow out of a dependent heart. When we are aware of our need, when we see how desperate we are for God to be God, for, for him to act for both his glory and our good, we very quickly will reach the end of ourselves and become a people of prayer. So these petitions, these other petitions, the rest of them in the Lord's Prayer, they're, they're a great summary of what it looks like for you and I to be active in our dependence, to be aware of the needs that we have, and then to lean into our neediness before the face of God. As we see here in the Lord's Prayer, we are constantly dependent on three fronts, three fronts, physically, spiritually, and morally. So physically, give us this day our daily bread. We are dependent on God to meet our daily physical needs for food, for shelter, for income to secure those things, for health and strength and abilities to be able to work, to earn an income to provide those things. We're dependent on God for rest, 
We're dependent on God for the very breath in our lungs. Most of us in this room are, are healthy enough. Most of us in this room are materially prosperous enough to the point that we might not automatically pray for these things. We might very easily take our physical daily needs for granted until something happens in our lives and it becomes impossible to take it for granted anymore. But in those times where you don't feel your physical dependence, let that be for you a springboard to pray other kinds of prayers. You can still certainly, and you should ask for those things, but you can also pray prayers of thanksgiving. Prayer is a balance. So you can stay actively dependent when you thank God for the things that he is providing acknowledging that they have come from him. God, thank you for meeting my needs today. Thank you for providing food and a home for me today. Thank you for giving me health and energy today. So we're dependent physically. We're also constantly dependent spiritually. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are, the Bible teaches, spiritual debtors. Sin is a debt that we owe to God, and it is a debt that we can never repay. But the wonder, the, the beauty, the worth of the work of Jesus is that he pays the debt that we never could have. So Jesus here is not just the one teaching us how to pray. He is actually going to be God's answer to this very prayer. As the Apostle Paul will go on to put it in Colossians chapter 2, And you, who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, that is Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and then get this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our debt is forgiven in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we pray from a place of spiritual dependence, recognizing how much we need and needed Jesus to forgive our debt of sin. We pray for forgiveness of our continued debts, not at all to negate the work that Jesus has already done, not to insinuate that his work on the cross was insufficient in some way, but because we need that past work of Jesus to count today, to count for the ways I'm sinning today, to, to, to count for that accrued debt that I'm accruing right now in my ongoing sin. And we pray, recognizing how dependent we are for the grace of God to forgive other people the way we have been forgiven. It's another really important part of the Lord's Prayer. A little later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus goes on to teach a parable about a servant who has this massive, unrepayable debt with his master. Like, think a billion dollars of debt to his master. And he is forgiven that debt by his master only to immediately turn around and refuse to repay the significantly, comparably tiny debt of a fellow servant. When we recognize how massive our spiritual debt is to God, when we recognize how incredible Jesus' payment of that debt is for us, it becomes unfathomable that we would withhold forgiveness from, from other people, that we would fail to forgive the debts of others. And yet, as you know, you don't, you don't need me to tell you this, forgiveness is really difficult. It's really difficult especially when that debt, when that sin against us is significant, especially when that debt has impacted our lives in massive ways and might actually impact our lives for the rest of our life. So even in this prayer, from a place of our own 
deep spiritual need. We're beginning to pray for the grace to forgive other people. We're praying for grace to remember our own debt of sin, that we're no better than, than anyone else. But we are learning formatively in this prayer to pray for those other people that are in our debt. As much as we are praying for ourselves, a petition like this is also teaching us to pray for other people. It's reminding us that as much as that person is in my debt, if they've sinned against you, they are in your debt. But he or she has a greater debt to God, just like I do. He or she needs forgiveness first and foremost from God, not just from me. So we are dependent physically, we are dependent spiritually, and then third, verse 13, we are dependent morally. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are, there are parts of us that remain unconformed to the image of Jesus. And the Bible, the, the New Testament in particular, calls this our flesh. Our flesh, the sinful nature. It's those parts of us that make us particularly susceptible to kinds of temptation. The ones maybe that are appealing to us. It's the part of us that makes certain kinds of sin appealing to us, even when we know from our own experience that it just never satisfies and it never will satisfy, but it's still appealing. It's the part of us that makes us opportunistic, looking for ways that we can indulge those desires, even though we already know that they're wrong and that they won't satisfy. And so we lean into our dependence morally we ask God to keep us from those places where we are particularly vulnerable. And at the very same time, we ask God for protection from evil, from the work of Satan, from the work of the spiritual forces of darkness. In other words, we need protection, we need deliverance from both the sin that remains within and the evil that assaults from without. Because whether we're aware of it or not, in any given moment, we are in the middle of this internal and external war and our lives, our hearts, our minds, that's the battlefield on which that war plays out. If one of the ways we're prone to get prayer wrong, Jesus says, has to do with, with our motives, drawing attention to ourselves. Jesus says here the other has to do with our methods, praying many words, heaping up empty phrases, being mindless, being rote in our repetition. Well, what Jesus offers in this prayer is also the antidote to that. He is laying out for us the ways we are dependent. And he's showing us what it looks like to be thoughtful, what it looks like to be active in our dependence. As Jesus says, as we read this morning in our scripture reading, in verse 8 here, before we ask, our Father already knows what we need. He already knows what we need. And yet, he wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. He wants us to be active. Not by mindless, mechanical, empty repetition, but by praying through our physical and spiritual and moral needs. And that leads to the, the practical tool that I want to share with you this week. Each week as we go through this series, we're trying to offer you a practical tool you can use in your prayer toolbox, as it were, uh, to grow as people of prayer. This week, the tool is called the prayer wheel. The prayer wheel. And there's a picture of it, and it's going to be up on the slide behind me. That's what it looks like, at least one of them. The prayer wheel is one way. There's nothing magical about this. There's different kinds of these that exist out there. But the prayer wheel is one way of seeking to apply this learned balance in our pursuit of prayer. So we have a few hard copies of this available on the welcome desk this morning. 
Uh, and then this week, this coming week, we're going to send this out in digital form, both in the weekly email uh, and also put it on our website where we post the audio for today's sermon. So I just would encourage you one way or another to get a copy of it and just to use it, to try it, incorporate it into your prayer life. But here's what it looks like. And as you can see, it makes its way through different forms of prayer that we are called and invited to throughout Scripture. Prayers of praise, waiting, confession, praying Scripture. We've talked about that already. There's petition and intercession. There's singing. There's meditation. We talked about that a little bit last week. And on the document itself, there's a further explanation given for each of these types of prayer and even some biblical references that you can use if you want to do a deeper dive into why these are good ways to pray and how we're mo- that's modeled for us in Scripture. But hopefully, uh, this is a visual way for us to see, if you're a visual learner, and hopefully also a way for us to embrace more the variety, the scope of what prayer is. Now, here's something I, I found really fascinating. Uh, if you Google prayer wheel, if you Google prayer wheel, most of the results that you find, at least on the first couple pages, will not be for something like this. So don't indiscriminately Google prayer wheel and then just use whatever pops up on that first page. Instead, what you'll actually find on most of the top results on Google is for a kind of prayer wheel used primarily by Buddhists. And Buddhist prayer wheels are cylinders, like physical wheels, cylinders inscribed with traditional Buddhist prayers or mantras. And Buddhist worshipers will turn these wheels, they will spin these wheels, and they'll do that over and over again, sometimes for hours. Why do they do that? Why? Because the more, in in Buddhist thought, the more that you turn that wheel, the more you're praying. It's a little bit like an old-fashioned music box, like where you turn the the crank, and every time the wheel makes its way around, the song is, is gone through one more time. Every time you pray, one, or every time you turn one of these wheels, it's like you've prayed all of the prayers that are on that wheel. And in the Buddhist understanding, the more prayers, the better. The more you're praying, the more merit you earn. The more you're praying, the more karma you're purifying. There's some massive prayer wheels in places like Tibet and Nepal that hold thousands upon thousands of little mantras inside them. And when you turn one of those wheels, it's like you're getting to pray all those thousands of prayers all at once. There are even some prayer wheels that are powered by wind or powered by water. It'd be like putting your prayer life on autopilot and hyperdrive all at the same time. It does it for you. Just praise these prayers because it keeps spinning around. Now, here's the thing. Apart from Jesus, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Like, Like if it's up to us, if our prayer life and the quantity of our prayers actually helps us merit salvation and actually makes the world a better place, then forget learning how to pray like this. Like It's hard work. It takes your whole life to learn how to pray the way Jesus is modeling how to pray right here. It takes too long. It's too much work. Just build the biggest prayer wheel you can imagine, and in some full-blown American ingenuity, ditch the water and wind power, hook that baby up to a diesel engine, you know, a Cummings engine and just crank. Like you'll, you'll be topping trillions of prayers in no time. But if God is really our father in heaven, transcendent and imminent, and if prayer isn't about meeting, meriting anything, but is about our devotion and our dependence, and if Jesus is not just the one who teaches us how to pray, but is himself God's answer to our prayers, 
then what Buddhists are doing at the end of the day is only heaping up empty phrases, thinking that their many words will make them heard, mindlessly, rotely, repetitively trying to earn something to pay back a debt that cannot be paid back by us. And so you need not, you must not use a prayer wheel like that. Instead, if it's helpful, you can use one like this as you seek to faithfully respond to what Jesus has already done and what Jesus will do. Because here's the beauty of the the Lord's Prayer. In Jesus, God's name will be hallowed. In Jesus, God's kingdom will come. In Jesus, God's will will be done. In Jesus, not only your daily needs, but the deepest desires and longings of your heart will be met. In Jesus, all of your debts and all the debts of your debtors have been forgiven, have been canceled, have been nailed to his cross. In Jesus, a day is coming where there will be no more temptation. You don't have to pray for deliverance from it. That sin won't be appealing anymore to you. And in Jesus, a day is coming where we will be fully and finally delivered from all evil, where sin and death will be destroyed. So men and women, because this is how Jesus taught us to pray, pray then like this. Through Jesus, your Father in heaven hears you. And his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's an incredible gift that you have given us in your son, uh, that you are our father and you are in heaven. And so would you help us to approach you reverently but confidently, recognizing you owe us nothing, but you have called us to come and ask and to be heard and answered by you. And we long for that day, Jesus, where you will bring the full answer to all of these prayers. And we even come this morning now to your table, And long for the day that you will come again where the fullness of your kingdom will come. Until that day, would you help us to learn how to pray? Would you help us to respond to the work that you have accomplished? Would you make us people of prayer? Would we cry out to you both for your honor and fame? Would we be be people who pray devotion? Would we be people, people who pray dependence? And may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.